right, there we go. Hey guys. Uh, today I have nothing. I have no agenda. I have no takes. I don't have any bombs to throw. I'm just very excited to show you guys my next level of grilling. I've been grilling up a storm this uh, early summer. I've been doing mostly delicious glizzies, uh, but also hamburgers, steaks. Uh, I had Will over here to do a beer can chicken. But, you know, oh, that man's reach should exceed his grasp for what is the heaven for. I decided, even though I am a grilling neophyte, that I'm going to try to smoke pork shoulder. That's right. I've had this puppy on all afternoon. Uh, I've got the gang coming over in a bit to eat it. But in the interim, I got it on there, low and slow. Uh, I have no idea if it's working. I do have a meat thermometer, so I'm not going to kill anybody. And I have backup glizzies if it doesn't work. And also we can go, there's a store open still. If I know, I'll have time to get something else. But I think it might work. And Will has told me that if it's taking too long, you can always put it in the oven at the end. So for now, though, I want to try it. I want to make a good faith effort to try to smoke this bad boy. And in a bit, I'll show you what he looks like, because I'm going to have to spritz him with the, uh, with the apple cider uh, soy sauce combo. So you're going to get to take a look. And i got to say, uh, even if this is a disaster, it's going to look good on the stream, because it looks real good right now, in my opinion. The skin is getting, it's got the crackle. It's looking great. Uh, but, yeah, no, make, not making any promises I actually get it done. But that's what I've been saying about this. It's all about the experience. I've had a lot of fun tinkering with this, trying to get the, the right amount of fire. It's engaged me. Uh, kept me grounded. Uh, made me not feel that anxiety, that ennui, that restless torpor that is the dominant mindset of the idle, late-century Nietzschean last man or woman. It casts it aside because I am... I'm committed to a, a physical task. So in a little bit here, I'm trying to wait maybe another 15 minutes. I'm going to try to, I'm going to open her up. I'm going to spritz her down. You can take a look. You can take a look. I think it's going to be good. Uh, the marinade, uh, it's not a marinade. It's a rub. And it's uh, Will's blend, actually. Uh, and it's proprietary, and it's delicious. He's a, he's a great, uh, great, great griller. Way better than me. Was Final Days the Nixon movie I'm always ranting about? Oh, no, no. The, the, the Nixon movie I'm always ranting about is Secret Honor. It's a one-man show starring Philip Baker Hall as a Nixon in retirement, writing his memoirs. Uh, consumed completely by shame. It's a great performance. Directed by Robert Altman. Uh, as a student project at the University of Michigan, I think. It's a tremendous movie. And it gets at Nixon's psyche, I think, better than anything. Because uh, I was talking about like Nixon's with somebody recently and, and about how like the rare, really good ones, Philip Baker Hall is one of them. There's a couple more. I'll try to think of it. Is that 
the thing that gets you from an impression to actual embodiment of Nixon is, is there's like an extra register of, because he's very tight, right? He's very hunched. He's very stressed. He's armored in the Reichian sense. Uh, but he reaches a level of exasperation and anger where he kind of cuts through, like the, the Quaker waspy sort of uh, social buffering is cut through with just this lightning bolt of, of rage. And uh, God love him, but Frank Langella, although I really like that movie, he doesn't do it. He kind of, he teases it, but he never really hits the, hits the note. And I don't, I don't know if, uh, if I could ever say that, uh, I'd have to watch it again, but I don't really remember, uh, what's his name? Anthony Hopkins doing it in Nixon either. And I'll tell you right now, Kevin Spacey sure as shit didn't figure it out uh, in that Elvis versus, uh, Elvis meets Nixon movie he made with Michael Shannon. Did you know that there are two movies made about the one time that Elvis met Nixon? How is that that interesting? How is that worth one movie? Oh yeah, this uh, this insanely drugged out, megalomaniacal, uh, weird, uh, hillbilly millionaire recording artist has a weird idea that he's going to become a drug enforcement agent, probably so he can f score the best uh, downers in town. Wants to get like a federal firearms license that goes to see the Nixon, and it's like it was a five minute photo op, and there's a photograph of it, and that's who gives a shit. Who gives a fuck? Nothing interesting about it. And yet they made a, a, a movie with Bob Gunton uh, as Nixon in uh, a Showtime original in the 90s. I forgot who played uh, Elvis in that one. Does anyone remember? Has anyone seen that? And then a few years ago, before it all fell apart for Kevin Spacey, he did one for theatrical release with Michael Shannon as, as, uh, as Elvis. And of course I've seen both of these. You know, I'm complaining about this horseshit, and yet I have to watch it because screen Nixons are compulsive to me. I have to see if, if there's one out there, I'm eventually going to find it out because I find it fascinating. Like John Cusack, for God's sake, played Nixon in the, the Butler. Also did not get the, the register. But Spacey wasn't very good. And uh, Shannon wasn't very good, honestly. And I love Michael Shannon. I, was, I said on Twitter that I was bummed that this uh, John Brown show on Showtime is starring Ethan Hawke instead of Willem Dafoe. I actually retract that. I think the best guy who could have possibly played uh, John Brown was would be uh, would be Michael Shannon. But I got to say, I have a hunch about this movie. I have a hunch about this movie, uh, or the the Showtime series. Like from the voiceover and the and the trailer, it looks like it's trying to be funny, which means that it's trying to be like. Uh, a contemporary gloss on the historical moment, right? Like, oh, John Brown and those guys. Well, what, if, what, what was it really like? And then it's, it's, it's sort of like that whole genre of, you know, like, what if, oh, what if Jane Austen had a Twitter account? It's trying to contemporize a historical moment. And I think that that's sometimes very useful and can be uh, invigorating and like reverse sort of state expectations. Uh, I think in this case, it's, I mean, this is the first cinematic John Brown we've seen since what? Uh, fucking Van Heflin in the Santa Fe Trail, where he's an insane maniac. And Ronald Reagan, who plays George Custer, and then his best buddy Jeb Stewart have to go uh, stop him from raiding uh, Harper's Ferry. 
And the fact that now we're getting a essentially soyified, a, a, a contemporized, meaning civilized, meaning desacralized, meaning disenchanted John Brown. And I think that the only movie about John Brown that could be interesting is one that took his religious faith seriously. The same way that the only kind of movie that would make be interesting about Nat Turner would be one that took his religious faith seriously. Like, with the way that The Witch, you know that movie The Witch? The whole, what's great about The Witch is The Witch tries to answer the question, what was it like to be a Puritan? Because, and that's why The Witch is real. And it's never a question that The Witch is real. And the Witch is established as real as almost in the beginning of the movie. Because to them, the riches were real. Satan was real. You're going to go in there and be like, oh, well, haha. Look at these idiots. This is, you know, oh, clearly they've got scrofula and they think it's the, the touch of the devil. What's the point of that? We know how we feel about this shit. What's interesting artistically is imagining what they were feeling about it. And so I would want to see a non-jokey John Brown. A John Brown that took, a, that, that was for the point of view of a character who had genuine world-shattering faith in the righteousness of his cause. And that implies like a supernatural, uh, uh, a mysticism, a spiritual dimension that contemporary culture lacks completely. And... Anything made with contemporary culture in mind is going to be uh, fraudulent. And of course, the, that attempt would fail. You know, we're try we would be making that movie. There would be a degree of condescension. But maybe with condescension and the passage of time, there is a deepening of understanding. And you're able to tease out layers of uh, empathy that you wouldn't be able to get making it into a cartoon. All right, it's about five minutes, guys. I'm going to open her up and let you see what she's looking like. And you can hear the sizzle as, the, as I hit that puppy with my spray bottle. Well, the horniest founding father is pretty well established to be Benjamin Franklin, right? There's no real competition there. The man was a uh, profligate hornball. And in fact, he was uh, a member of the Hellfire Club, which is a group of upper class perverts uh, in England who would do uh, black masses, basically, that involved mass orgiastic desecration of, of prostitutes dressed as nuns. And he was, uh, it's a cornerstone of like Q lore that, and, and really like all that shit, Franklin Credit Union, that, that whole like vein of conspiracy that, uh, the house that Franklin lived in when he was on diplomatic mission and when he was inducted into the Hellfire Club uh, was found a number of years ago to have a collection of human bones in the basement from that period. So, yeah, one way or another it was Franklin. To one degree, some degree or another, he was worshiping his own his own uh, erotic satisfaction. I'm going to read Ulysses. I think I need to read a couple more, a couple more big novels. Right now, I'm stuck. I got caught by Reaganland. It's consumed me. It's so good and it's so big. But, uh, but when I'm done with that, I think I might actually read Russell Banks's. Uh, 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 Cloud Splitter, which is a 
big fat book about John Brown, not the book that they based the uh, the snow show on. Uh, and maybe that'll give me some of that. Maybe that. Yes, I have read Vincent Bevins' book. It's great. Uh, apparently, it sold really well, uh, which I'm, I'm, I hope to think we had something to do with. But then, if it sold too well, they sold out the first run, and it took them forever to do another printing. So if you can't get it, hold on. It will be back in stock. Please buy it. Oh, man, I didn't know they did a dollop on John Brown. Oh, that's that that's going to be fantastic. I can't wait. All right, guys. You guys ready to take a look? Here we go. Here it comes. All right, all right, gang. Gang, gang, here we go. Uh, Ta-da! Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. See that, hear that sizzle? You hear that sizzling, guys? Yeah. Let's get a quick, let's get a quick temp. Okay, it looks like it's on schedule. It's still gonna have a, a bit more, like maybe, maybe I think a couple hours. Uh, but yeah, I think she's got a couple more hours. Yeah, the, the heat's coming off. So if it doesn't work, that's fine. I've got hot dogs. I've got hot dogs. I've got hamburgers. Life will go on. And I will have learned from my mistake. That's called growing. Look, what can I tell you, folks? I'm a grower, not a shower. Uh, I've got a hoisin sauce that I'm very excited about with some garlic in there, a little, little, little hot, little, uh, little pepper for heat. Um, I like the I like the the uh, Asian pork preparations very much. Uh, I, I just have some watermelon. Nobody ever wants sides when I come over here for some reason. They just want the meat. I do have some watermelon though. Oh no, someone wants me to explain dialectics as though they were a child. I guess I would simply say this. There's time and then there's space. Most systems of analysis in the West, certainly capitalism, certainly like the way uh, rationalism as we understand it, uh, certainly like the every ideology that undergirds the providing ideology of the moment uh, considers things in one or the other states, but never at the same time. 
They, never, they do not contextualize events in time, which means the three-dimensionality of the thing. The fact that something is the way it is because of preceding precedents. Uh, you can, a lot of people will, will sort of grant the truth of that statement, but it does not inform their actual thinking. Uh, and when you think that way, what you end up doing is you end up grinding space against time in a process that is essentially uh, the persistent conflict of opposites until you resolve a remainder. That's the dialect. That's the dialectic. That's the engine of history. Like in the liberal conception of history, we are all powered by little individual batteries of soul or spirit, unmoved movers, the things that make me do what we do. Societies, ideas, cultures, systems are built by self-imposing will on the world. Dialectical materialism says no. People are, uh, humans are formed by the resolution of opposites and then they work in the world by resolving opposites. There is no unmoved mover. It's just the flickering, it's the kinetic flickering of, of energy through history. I hope that makes some sense. And it's the resolving of those contradictions, that, the, the dialectical contradictions, in the process of resolving them, you leave a new thing that is part of both but different from either. That's the synthesis. And it is, so it's never a question of one proposition or another being correct. Every proposition, basically, certainly in sciences and certainly in social sciences, is correct. The question is, is it correct in this context? Is it a tool that works on this machine? Not, it's true or false. It's always true, but is it true now? And I'm sad, like, it's very hard for people to get this because we don't teach it that way. We teach the idea that there's a right and a wrong answer to things, and wrong things are like in a bucket of wrongness that they can never be rescued from. And they get rejected, and then you leave the, the, you leave the shit that you need for your shit to create the third thing. You throw it away. And that's why it's so hard for people to think about this stuff. That's why so much political discussion ends up becoming a sterile moralistic argument. Like, there's a moral... There are moral claims and material claims in every situation. And the presiding ones, from the standpoint of wanting to change them, are the, are the practical ones. The moral ones are secondary. The moral ones are just a reflection of the conditions. And they can only be changed by addressing the conditions. You can't address them at the level of, of, uh, of, of, of morality, of, at, the, at the spiritual level, at the symbolic abstracted level. And that's what we all do. Like, our, like everyone's screaming about like if cops are good, all cops are good or bad or not. It's like, okay, maybe they are. They probably are. You can make a moral argument that they inherently are. Does that matter though? Not necessarily. Not if you're in the position of trying to negotiate yourself towards a meaningful change in the situation, a meaningful change in the material reality that is destroying the world and destroying all of us in it. If that's your consideration, then you have to ask, well, what usefulness is this truth? As a motivator of action, it's good, but as something to insist on to everybody in the face of the need to create a broad, as broad a possible coalition of people to not just believe a certain thing, but to act on it. That's the primary issue. And everything has to be folded into that. And 
online makes it possible for people to say that they can have their cake for dinner and that they can have their purely moralistic argument that keeps them purified, that sanctifies them because it keeps, puts them on the right side of history. Where they, you can, uh, that's the only place that you can convince yourself that you're not actively hindering things and making things harder. No, actually, I'm doing the good thing. It's because you're not engaging both ends of the horse. And the thing to remember is that when I say the, the, the thesis and the th antithesis are coming together, remember, those two are both synthesis themselves. Everything is a synthesis, but then eventually it... it they, the, the, the motion of, of, of time, of space going through time and vice versa, shapes things. The stochastic eruption of butterfly-like events shape those systems and change them. And it's the degree to which humans can get into that process and will things in one or another directions that, that counts. That's the only thing that counts. That's why Marx said, before today, philosophy... Uh, was about describing the world. The point is to change it. He said, we want something different than the old idealistic argumentation that tries to create this category of how things should be without any consideration of turning it into reality. But we, because the internet allows us to fly to the abstracted levels as possible, as quick as possible on, on digital wings, we've all forgotten that truth and are like, no, actually, the point is to describe it as, as as detailedly as possible and make people feel a certain way about that by reading me. The idea being that like, there's going to be some spontaneous uh, uh, transcendent enlightenment because a bunch of people read the same argument at the same time. That's, that's liberal. That assumes that these things are kindled in people's hearts. That you have a change of opinion. No. You are pushed in one direction or another by the flow and ebby of time. It's like the boat's floating and, you, and it's going to go towards one or another port, the good one or the bad one, and you're behind it blowing on the motherfucker, trying to get it to go in the right direction. And that's all we can do. But instead, we're describing the fucking boat, and we're explaining where it's going on the current. I'm not using, this person's saying, am I, am I, is it wrong to say that we need to uh, get rid of the ego because uh, it's a war against, between ego and id? I don't mean ego in the, in, the, in the Freudian sense. I mean like the conception of oneself as having a separateness, being separate from everything. That's what an ego is. And it is just part of that. And it is an expression of that, of the phenomenon of being that kind of being. It's the pure, uh, uh, you know, impulse, the, the closest to the ganglion possible urges that satisfy, that satiate us against the, the nightmare horror and pain of being alive. It's, it's our opium. It's the, the, it, the it is scrambling for the nearest provision for some level of relief from the terrifying discomfort of being alive. But if you don't have an ego or you are able to tame the ego, there's nothing to defend. 
There's nothing that needs to be soothed. There's no fear, or there's less fear. And there's less fear of pain, and there's less fear of death because there's less sensation of these, those things as having value. There's less, there's less, you put less emotion behind the idea of being in discomfort because what is discomfort? And it and reduces your fear of being dead. What is being dead? Being dead is just to be renewed, to be returned to the flow. My, my separate from it is entirely illusory. And if you have that, then that id can't be used as a fucking, uh, uh, as, as, the, as the marionette strings by capital to keep you dangling. Uh, what is my take on Kanye's presidential bid? I didn't say a word about it because I thought this isn't real. And then people I saw for weeks took this shit seriously enough that you had libs like doing songs about how pissed off they were at Kanye and like Chance the Rapper is going off on a whole thing about whether Kanye would be good for... Like how did it... None of it, are you people like lobotomizing yourselves so that you could be interested in the news that you care about? Like is it so boring and, and, and predictable in reality that you have to hypnotize yourself and into removing a, a crucial like uh, part of your brain that recognizes patterns no, he wasn't running for president he if he was if you want to run for president without a ballot line from a party that already has access to a ballot you have to get uh, signatures that vary a number from thousands to tens of thousands in all the states that you would need to cobble together the requisite uh, electoral votes for it to even be a possibility for you to win. But even to do it in one state would be an incredible lift. This late in the fucking camp election, this close to November, in a fucking pandemic? The guy's got an album coming out. His entire career, him having the MAGA hat, him doing this, him marrying Kim Kardashian, him becoming a cult leader, they're all just branding. Because he is at the level where his, his branding is his ideology. Like, he, he is so, so fully absorbed the idea that he is a singular genius that the propagation of his genius and the awareness of genius is his evangelicalism. That is, he is evangel. His evangel is himself because he's fully assimilated the notion that he is the, the, the god of the universe and the, most, and the most intelligent being in it. And the thing is, it's very easy to do that. If you're spinning at a high enough frequency, I mean, I've felt that too. Because the thing is, if God is, as I think it is, all consciousnesses that ever will or have existed, that means that every one of us contains with it, you know, like in a fractal, the same thing. So we all technically, because we, you know, have access to the collective unconscious, that that is sine qua non with God, means we technically are God too. And we could... You can convince yourself, well, everyone's God, I understand, but I'm better at being God than anyone else, so I should be. And that's, I mean, and when you have that, and the thing is, the thing that stops you from taking that too far is having limits, bumping against the criterial reality. And when you're a billionaire fucking celebrity, that doesn't exist. And it'll just drive you to the event horizon of, uh, of narcissistic delusion. Ah. Uh. So yeah, of course he wasn't fucking running for president. I don't just, I don't, it's just, I think people were, they have to have been bored, but how can you be bored right now? My God, everything on earth is happening. And you need to care about fucking Kanye West? You need to care about the letter? Have the same conversations and the same arguments you've been having against the same people f for five years now? Without any variance in any of it? Without any single word 
exchanging being any different, without any argument changing, without any minds being changed? My God. It's like you're caught in the in a in a net in a in a maze. And and you have you've solved all the puzzles, so you have to take the stickers off and rearrange them. Uh, it's, someone's asked what I'm grilling. We're smoking a pork shoulder. I'm not sure it's going to work, but I, uh, like I said, it doesn't matter if one way or the other. We'll all be here and we'll all have all fun. And we can always put it in the oven. Am I a dud or an Ernie? That's good. That's a Lodge 49 question. I think that I... I think I'm like a... Oh, man. I think I'm like... I'm Benjamin Buttoning because I feel like I was Ernie for many years and now I'm dud? Weird. Okay, uh, I would like to actually talk about this. So apparently some weirdo Tradcath guy found a tape from me when I did like a fucking periscope from my apartment in uh, Cincinnati. This has got to be four years ago. And it's like a clip of me saying how much I hate some group, them, because they're trying to make the world worse for people. And the, the, guy, the guy just said they, he wants us dead. And I think people, I, it, it just shows like the, the amazing way that, that the speed of Twitter is such that there are so many syntactic leaps that you make instantaneously. Like just analyzing a thing, you immediately figure out like what the meme format is, what the, what the, what the surface uh, meaning is, what the underlying meaning is, uh, and uh, based on who said it and what memes they used. And of course, the thing is, it's entirely wrong. You're, you're deluding yourself into thinking you're figuring it out, but you need to have some episteme. You need to have some way to filter everything. So, but that's why people end up making insanely bad idea of just conclusions of just being baffling to me. Like, so it just said they, and someone that, he, I guess just because that guy's Catholic, everyone thought that meant Catholics? Or even more specifically, trad cats? I was talking specifically about fucking Ross Douthat. And, like, if I broadened that to, uh, like, his type of conservative, I was talking about the people who were, the influencers who were trying to uh, f delude people into thinking that there was some way to tame capitalism through Christianity. It's the idea that, yeah, I, I'm, unlike previous generations of right-wing Christians, I will admit that capitalism is actually kind of incompatible with our values. Previous generation, the guys who made the modern conservative movement and that made... Uh, uh, American religiosity now, in the in the latter in the in the early 21st century, they uh, absolutely 100% thought that 
capitalism was inextricably linked to uh, the, the to Christianity because in the market one could express only in the market could one be free to express oneself from the heart only in the market could one freely live as a Christian because the market facilitates all transactions uh, now we've had enough years to know that that doesn't work that that's that's the fucking wheels are off of that thing and some people are still doubling down and being delusional about it but there's a leading edge of conservatives who are like all right let's let's try to like tame this beast by acknowledging that capitalism is in fact destabilizing but convince them that the application of Christianity at, a, at, a, at, at uh, the level of policy, uh, I mean, yeah, they talk about reform, but it's very, very mild shit. It's, it's all just like tamp down the worst of the inequality, but do nothing to deal with the accelerating rate of it. Uh, mostly, though, you want to create a civic, a civic uh, architecture to support faith. Basically, just it's, it's, it's neoliberalism for uh, Christianity. Like, give them some tax credits. Give them some fucking uh, health insur insured savings accounts or something. Like it's means tested. It's like let's get let's let's just do the nudge, but for uh, Christian values. And that's the flim flam. That's the fucking scam. And that's not that's to be contemptible. That is gross. But I mean, I, I would not say I hate people now. Like one thing, I think I am genuinely different. I'm a different person now. Every all are. Everyone changes. It's just a question of how much how perceptively and whether good or bad change. I think that I have changed significantly. I think I've changed significantly for the better. I would not say broadly I would hate anybody, but even because uh, I feel like everyone can be empathized to one degree or another because they're humans like us and they did not choose to live how or when they did. They, their, their reactions are so limited by the happenstance and the randomness of the universe that it's hard to blame them individually. In fact, you can't really blame them individually. But you have to acknowledge friends and enemies in the public sphere to be able to fight, and you need to put energy behind that. And sometimes that translates into personal distaste. And I think that needs to be acknowledged as necessary fuel. But just remember, remind yourself that it is just that, that it doesn't reflect a greater truth, a greater existential judgment of them. They're just, they're God's creatures just like you. They're God just like you. They are, they're as helpless and tossed by time and space as the rest of us. But... Even that, I would say, guys like Douthit, at the Douthit level, the puppet master, these fucking cynical uh, Christianity pimps, I do have distaste for them. I don't want to wish them physical harm, but I do distaste for them because they do bad. They, use the, they, they, they manipulate genuine human yearnings for freedom from the alienation of, of this materialist hell that we've created from capitalism. And they just cynically fuse that to the fucking machine that's been creating it it's like those environmental it's like environmental activists who secretly take money from like fucking uh exxon or something to to endorse their like clean energy initiatives it's 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 moral it's laundering immoral uh politics it's laundering in the immoral economic system that you're propping up boo thumbs down See, they're saying, see, someone's saying, you know, reimposing Christianity, if you could do it, it might inhibit the flow. 
but you can't because how are you what is the plan to actually make people believe the shit state enforcement doesn't do it the most hegemonically catholic countries in europe historically the ones where this religion was most thoroughly pushed on the people from above are the most atheistic because it's alienating you can't do it it's not that the goal is necessarily evil it's that it won't work and if you don't know that i guess like you're ignorant and i should give you some sympathy for being a dumbass but i think a lot of these motherfuckers know that and are being cynical about it What I'm saying, when I say that we need a spirituality to infuse the new left, and it absolutely has to happen, it's going to be the sinews, it's going to be the nervous system, it's going to be the, the electrical impulse system of whatever movement we create. It's going to not be any of, these old, any of this old shit. It's not going to be cosplay Catholicism. It's not going to be evangelicalism. Uh, it's not going to be some new age shit. It's going to be, I don't even know what it's going to be, because it's so emergent yet. It hasn't emerged, but it's necessary, and it's going to be syncretic. So attempts to like demand that it fits some category, it's like all you're going to do is justify, you're, gonna, you're going to endorse the state capital fusion to the degree it gives you the gun of culture. And then you can wave the gun of culture around and force people to do what you want. But guess what? You'll never win their hearts. You'll never convince them. And culture will continue to drift away from you. And then you will blame them. And then, boom, you're just a fascist. So right now, let's focus on the reality of what's going on. How about we focus on the, the fact of the 30 million, perhaps, people being kicked out of their homes at the end of the fucking month? How about that? How about the fact that we've got 150,000 people dead and uh, maybe another million coming, all of them pulled from the most vulnerable parts of society because we've got to keep the fucking bloody wheels of this fucking disgusting machine slicked with blood? How about we talk about that? And honestly... If you can't acknowledge the, 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 the emergency right now, if you can't emerge, uh, the actual, absolute uh, vitality of this moment, if, you can't, if that won't convince you that maybe your thing that you care about, even if it matters, might matter more to you morally than to the moment and what the moment requires... And that's why I can't say one way or the other whether I think we can really get our way out of this because I don't know how people are going to respond as the crisis deepens. I don't know if they go inward or they turn outward. And everything, all our incentive structure is to turn inward. And that's, what's, that's what makes me less optimistic. But I'm, I'm more optimistic because I recognize my own fucking failings. That I am, I don't know everything. I don't know what's going on, really. I only have a little keyhole peek into the world at any given moment. I'm piecing things together from fucking scraps. And my and my like uh, my my ratiocination is is larded with personal uh, 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 prejudices, biases, and, uh, and and perversions that I don't even know are there that are layered in deeply at the subconscious level, a level that I have no way of accessing at this point in my life right now. Of course, I don't know what's going on, and times change everything, and so how can I say with any certainty that oh, I'm black pilled? Oh, I'm so black pilled. Really? Wow. You're the one guy who knows what's going on? You're the one person who isn't piecing shit together mostly from sugar packets? You're the first one I've met then. If you are, I'll tell you that.
No, no, you still, someone's asking if getting rid of pain means getting rid of joy. You can't get rid of pain, nor should you, because joy is, is, is life can be joy if that's what you give value to. You won't not experience either, but only one of them will, will resonate. You can like pick the frequency to make it so that pain is not painful because you can contextualize it away. Uh, suffering can be soothed by your mind, not by trying to soothe it in the way that your, your, your reptile brain wants you to, by flitting about and, and trying to seek uh, uh, unsustainable physical pleasure uh, or, or soothing through, through consumption or anything or through emotional uh, uh, catharsis, thanks to the internet. And that those things will eventually, that's never gonna get you where you need to go. But you can uh, soothe internally by contextualizing all your pain. And then when good things happen, you can just feel them. You can just feel the thing. You can feel the sunshine and not get the sunburn. Because you're transparent. And you can become transparent at a moment's notice. That's mindfulness. I'm certainly not there. I'm not even close, but I'm on the journey. I'm reading the books. I'm doing the, the daily uh, meditation. And I think that I'm, I feel remarkably uh, even keeled and at peace considering how things have only gotten way, way worse and more, uh, more volatile since the beginning of quarantine. And I feel a million times better. I was miserable at the beginning of quarantine in a way that I couldn't even articulate to myself. And now... When all the sort of worst case scenarios I imagined and kind of assumed would happen in, in uh, April are now all coming true, I am less nervous about it than ever because I'm less, I'm less uh, tightly holding on to this architecture of, uh, of uh, self-soothing. But it's certainly tenuous and I could definitely fall off the beam at any moment. Uh, but what makes that not anxiety producing is knowing that I know what to keep doing. I, at any point that I fall, I can just recognize myself falling and stop. So that's good. And I'm not saying that whatever I'm talking about is the synthesis. This, like, I am the prophet of the new thing. Absolutely not. I'm far too limited. I, I, my, my, my experience is far too uh, individuated to ever have that kind of ability. I'm merely like talking out loud about what I think will happen. Uh, and if I have any effect on it, it will be, it will be that whole snowflake avalanche thing that I was talking about. And that's how I, I try to like remind myself. That's how I can avoid becoming Kanye. You know, is just knowing how absolutely limited my perspective is. Even though it's touching onto the entire gossamer fabric of reality, at any given moment, I am just I am a grain of sand on the beach. Is there anywhere I'd like to travel outside the U.S. I've never been? Uh, hmm. 
I get, yeah, I think everywhere I haven't been, I have some sort of, or most places, I have some sort of interest. I can't think of anything that really sticks out as something that I really, really yearn to see, though. I would like to go to Japan just to see, like, the future while it still exists before it runs out of energy, you know? But of course, the joke is, is as an American, I will not be allowed out of the country for a good couple of years. And I have to say, I, there is a, a cheap but beautiful irony, right, about um, the fact that the Trump administration began, and I know every live on earth has pointed this out, but it is such a just perfect Rod Serling level bit of ironic reversal, that Trump came into office and his first year was entirely consumed with questions of keeping people outside of the United States, trying to get in. Mexicans, uh, illegal immigrants of any kind, illegal aliens, whatever they wanted to slander them with, uh, and Muslims. And now his term is ending with Ameri the American passport gaining you access to like 21 countries, down from 180 or whatever. We're, we're not allowed on most of the countries in the world. That's just the perfect karmic boomerang. It's too, it's too uh, tidy and neat, which, of course, is what's so unnerving about this moment. Like, at every moment, the, the, the uncanny feeling of this era is reality becoming uh, uh, the joke. Reality, reality conforming to the exact structure of a joke. That's, that's like, chilling. Like, oh, like reality is, is interceding. It's going beyond, it's breaking through the imaginative level. It's, it's actually breaching the containment between like our collective like unconscious and reality, actual physical reality. And when that fusion completely happens, then we have been assimilated. That's, that's the fucking singularity, the bad one. When capitalism literally turns us into uh, nodes in its neural brain. We become part of the robot brain of, of, a, of an absolutely desacralized ca capitalism that does no longer serves humanity because uh, it is no longer composed of humans. Humans have been reduced to pure stimulus response units. Pure desire and satisfaction, energy input, energy output. That's the human part of this neural net. That'll be, the, that'll be where we end up if capitalism is not stopped. Of course, if capitalism is stopped and we are ever able to get to a point of a technological synthesis, it flips. And we, we fuse with, we, we breach that barrier between the imaginative, between the spiritual and reality on humanity's terms, on the terms of a fully self-aware uh, species being that is as unified as like a transcendent individual spirit is using technology to to achieve oneness to arrive at nirvana heaven or hell socialism or barbarism all of it meaning the same thing the end state the end state of transcendence where all humans have been stripped of anything that makes them such and turned into 
cogs of pure desire, all their least, their least noble elements just squozing out of them like a toothpaste tube. Or where all the best, all the best remaining, all the best synthetic goo remaining from squeezing all of the flesh out of the human race will be, will be, will be what we consecrate. And that would be heaven. I hope that, oh boy, I hope that made sense. That's, I got pretty, uh, pretty abstract there. The food is still going to take a while. Uh, it's it's going to take a bit because it's pork. I think it's got to get to 190. In fact, uh, give me a second. I'm going to go uh, going to go check the temp. Gonna check the gonna check the temp. She's coming along nicely. Oh wait a minute! It's not 190. What's it supposed to be? What what is what is the thing? I thought it was, someone told me. It's not anywhere near there yet, so I'm fine. It's not like I'm going over, overcooked. I just need to know. So it is 169. Oh, you fucking turkeys. 145. Okay. You guys are pulling my chain. You guys are pulling my chain. One sixty five. If it's one sixty five, I'm on perfect glide path to success. If it's one sixty five, I think it's gonna happen, gang. One, but people say one forty five. All right, I'm going one sixty five because that's what I'm on a good path for. I'm ignoring all other advice, but thank you for giving me that. I'm very excited. I'll, besides, Will's coming and he'll know too. I'm just trying to before he gets here. I'm trying to keep it on the good good tip to know that I'm on the good point. I'm on a good, ooh, yeah. It's going to be good, guys. We're going to have some good old dang old pork. Oh, I'm not doing pulled pork. I want to stipulate that. I'm not doing that. I don't like about pulled pork. Uh, I want, I want to, yeah, I want to just like get it off with the skin and everything. So I'm going 165. Thank you guys. Because 
Yeah, now I know the information. All right. Oh, boy. Okay. All right. What do you guys, anybody have any questions? I got a little bit of time left for, uh, for I guess, to get start ready for the grill, the grill party. What's going on, doggies? What's up, cats and kittens? Anybody have any non, non pork related questions for me? I have not totally stopped drinking. I definitely drink less than I did, though. Because uh, I used to go out a lot, and I would drink a lot when I went out. Now, even when I'm uh, here, I don't drink as much. And now I'm drinking uh, more calor less calorically dense beverages, because now I'm a claw boy. I love a good claw. I'm so happy to have those little guys. I get to feel like a real housewife's child. I also chief, of course, I chief more. Yes, I'm also smoking more uh, of the gods, of the gods Chiba. It's from the earth. Thank you for saying that was a good episode with uh, David. I thought that went really well. Uh, I love having him on. He's one of the best. He gets Trump culture. He gets Trump's mind better than anybody. I think it's because of where he grew up. Honestly, like he's a tri-state boy. He's Northern Jersey. And he grew up in in the exact in the exact shadow of Trump's public persona, so he's he got all that gamma radiation, and it's turned him into an analytical Hulk. Uh, I like the sativa, of course, most of the time because I don't like getting sleepy. But I like to have a little bit of a, the old indica around if uh, I want to make sure that I can uh, get some Z's. Fred Trump was such a monster. Fred Trump is an evil man. And that's one of those things that, uh, that makes you have to give compassion to everybody because you think about how awful Donald had it growing up and how he had to compensate for that. But then you think that that means Fred, Tom Fred Trump had the same thing. Nobody's the prime mover of their own evil. People are passing through all the trauma of every generation before and, and that touched them. And we have to, people have to be responsible for it themselves because no one knows that no one can be aware of all the forces that shape them so they're they're still prisoners and that means they're still dangerous and they have to be corralled and they have to be stopped but judged is where we get wrong judged and and, and then morally condemned is where punishment becomes punitive when it becomes not a question of making things safer, making a person less of a danger, making fewer people less dangerous, it becomes about punishing the person who did the thing. And that creates a cycle of worsening social violence. And, 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 it's, and it creates this vast pool of uh, human misery that has to be submerged and taken off the streets. Like, what happened with the, the, the drop in crime in the 90s is we didn't really, like, eliminate crime. What we did is we we legitimized crime. We took a huge amount of social violence generated by our 
the collapse of our, uh, of our urban industrial economy, we took all of that violence, all that social trauma, and we legalized it by turning it into mass incarceration with its attendant sadism and violence and exploitation and black markets and the creation of um, uh, fucking world-spanning criminal organizations like MS-13 and fucking black guerrilla family and Aryan nation or Aryan brotherhood. At every level, this attempt to sublimate the trauma instead of work it out creates only more horror and trauma. And that's because we, lost, we lose sight of the social context of people's actions. And that's where punitivism, that's where punitive culture gets unleashed. It's not good, folks. And that's why, that's, that's why you have to contextualize everyone and everyone's actions and know that you are, that even though you have to act as though you have free will, you know that everyone else doesn't. And you don't either, you just can't tell how. You can't know what is making you do the thing you're doing. You think you're guessing, and that is free will. And that is also consciousness. It's, they're inextricably linked. And the further you can strip down to that level, that level of uh, awareness of contextualized action and contextualized restraint, the less you feel the need to judge someone and get mad at them and want to punish them for something they did. And that's what robs the, puni the, 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 the necessary, the, exi the, the required existence, at least as long as there's social trauma caused by capitalism, which is going to be a while, as long as you have the reality of social dysfunction coming from that, you're going to have to have a system to deal with it. And it's going to probably have to involve it to some level incarceration because people right now are very, very messed up and traumatized and therefore violent. And that violence has to be contained because if it isn't, it, you undermine the legitimacy of the project, the state project you're trying to do, and it won't last. So you have to contain the excess uh, trauma, the, 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 the trauma that is reinforced by all previous generations and is still being reinforced though lower levels as you're trying to reform the systems. Uh, so you have to be able to have some sort of a, 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 a carceral state, but it has to have, be, but, you know, the Scandinavian system is largely drained of punitive uh, uh, energy because they don't, you don't, you understand at a cultural level, oh, there's a social reason for this. And of course, one of the big reasons that we don't do it that way is racism, because race is one of those things that mystifies our relationships to one another. And we would extend a certain degree of social understanding to people that we love. Like, the more you love someone, it's really just the more you're aware of why they do what they do. The closer you are to someone, the more you know why they do what they do, and the harder it is to get mad at them. And, like, empathy is just extending that outward further and further. And, of course, like, the, the greatest transcendence would be to love everyone as you love the people closest to you because you extend that understanding of their context and what made them do what they do as far out as possible. If you could do that, you would have transcended uh, the emotional baggage of the desire to, to punish. And so in a racialized society, people will extend more to their racial group, and then they will not extend it to a, another racial group. And so they blame them to, for their crimes at a greater degree than they would blame their group for their crimes. 
And so when prisons fill with them, fill with these people, prison conditions get worse and worse, not only does that not bother you, you think that's good, they have it coming. And a political issue becomes about how much you can punish them more. Take away their, uh, take away their gyms, take away their weights, take away their museum, their libraries. They deserve punishment. As though any of that's going to fix anything. It's purely, uh, it's just more and more trauma that's going to have to be recuperated in the culture. You're doing more and more damage to your own society, wildly flailing. But you don't recognize that because you don't recognize those people as part of the same communion, the same social order. And so it gets reinforced over time. And that's why a multiracial working class movement is the only thing that can break this thing off of its moorings. And the question always has to be not the morality of a discrete issue, not who's right and who's wrong at the etheric plane on every discrete issue, but in the moment right now, what combination of truths can be arranged to put enough weight around the effort to move the fucking wheel, to, to push, to get momentum, actually pushing things in the real world. What is it? I don't know where it is right now. We're still floating. We're like a floating kneecap just gliding on the goo. But it's coming into being. Uh, August is going to be a nut cutter. 30 million people might be out on the fucking streets. Nothing we've ever seen. Does that cut through? Does that cut through the biasma? Does that cut through the bullshit? Does that cut through the self-serving libidinal wanking? I don't know. I do have to wonder what would if it didn't. What would it take? But, like I said, I, I accept my, my speck-like ignorance of the, the, the grander machinations of world history and accept that anything can happen. And that means anything means good too. We're still, we're still riding the edge between that. We have not foreclosed all hope. And as long as that possibility exists, you have to keep going. There's no alternative. You either go or you destroy yourself through guilt and loathing because you know you should be doing something and you're not. I can't go on. I will go on. All right, guys. Uh, any other questions? I'm going to tend in my meat here. How did I get so cute? I'll never tell. Bye-bye.